Hey guys, I'm Shay, a three-winged two on the Enneagram that finds her home in Atlanta, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to create an ongoing conversation about the tensions of following Jesus in today's culture. Join me and many others as we have conversations that challenge and inspire us to follow Jesus in our day and age. This is Just Shayin'. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Just Cheyenne. And I have been looking forward to uh, this interview for quite some time. Um, but I kind of wanted, before I share who it is, maybe just for the, the pause of anticipation, um, is just to kind of explain how I stumbled across um, who we're about to chat with. And um, basically, in the last year or two, um, I, got, I felt like God has just had me heavily into what is actual discipleship? What is that in comparison to what, you know, how Jesus discipled people? Uh, you know, and we live in, you know, our day and age, it's like steps and formulas. But the more I found reading about Jesus was that it was he just discipled people through lifestyle and uh, asking questions and, and really poking and prodding them to really check their own heart uh, and just the principles of the kingdom. And so with all that said, God has led me uh, to be discipled by different people around me, also pouring that out into people underneath me. But in all of that, I was stumbled through some friends of mine to the Bama podcast. Um, so I would highly encourage all of you listeners to go look up Bama podcast and your hesitation is, or not your hesitation, rather, like your, your, your inkling is going to want to start in season four or season three, uh, or the Gospels and, and, and the Pauline epistles. But truthfully, you got to start all the way back in the beginning, um, in season one, where he starts off with Genesis and the heart of the Father. And just, I listened to the first two episodes of season one and completely wrecked me, completely just wrecked me. Um, so before we get into all of that, because I have no idea where this is going to go, I would love to introduce uh, Marty Solomon to you. Um, he and uh, Brett Billings are um, the host, co-host, I guess, of um, the Bama podcast. Uh, and obviously, if you go listen to their podcast, you'll learn way more about them and their story. And so thank you so much, Marty, for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. I feel like there's so many questions I have, but I'm like, I have no idea where to start. But I would love to kind of just start with a little bit, uh, if you could take just a few minutes and kind of just share your own story as to what kind of got you. I know a big saying that you guys have is we want to be people of the text. We, we love God, we love others, and we want to be people of the text. Right. Can you share a little bit of just... Uh, however long, I don't really care truly, um, just about how that started being cultivated in your heart. Yeah. And I'll try to give the short version of the story. There's a longer version because I, I, I'm Jewish. My family is, uh, we're Torah observant Jews who love Jesus very much. And um, I wasn't raised in that upbringing though. I was raised in like a fundamentalist Christian um, evangelical household. And so, uh, you know, typically I'll be offering critique on that, but I say that now because what my parents really handed me was a love for Jesus and a love for the Bible in the midst of everything else that came with that. Um, they, they taught me above everything else to love Jesus and love the Bible. So I always kind of had that deeply ingrained in me um, over the course of a lot of just, you know, I, I went to, I felt called to go to ministry, went to Bible college, was trained to be a pastor, was working in a church and, um, 
ministry wasn't working for me. Uh, I wasn't smoking what I was selling, if that's probably a bad metaphor, but that <laughs> was just not, there was stuff that didn't work and, and I couldn't really find, you know, and, and I think probably through God's providence, he eventually led me to some teachers that landed me over in Israel just to study the Bible in context and mainly underneath Ray Vanderlaan, uh, who a lot of people knew through a series that the world may know, Focus on the Family, video series, blue shirt, khaki pants, guy walking around Israel, and um, got a study with Ray, and it was great, and we, um, it, just, it just blew my mind. It changed everything, and not only did it make the Bible come to life, reading the text in context, it, it took my, uh, if I had a mental filing cabinet, what I felt like I had to do, I had to do was just dump that completely empty and start over, start filing new pictures because everything I had in my mind was, was wrong. And one of the things that was impressed upon me in that study was just how well the, the world of Jesus, this Jewish world of Jesus knew their Bible. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, for, for me, uh, that just started this. I kept hearing all this stuff that I knew in the evangelical world I grew up in, this was, this was important. This is what I was, and, and this made a difference. It wasn't some other story. It was the very thing they were trying to teach me. And yet nobody was talking about it. And it did make a difference with all the stuff that we were being taught. And so, you know, I just started, I'm a teacher by design, by God's giftedness. So I just started establishing a body of work where I could start handing this stuff off. And that's really what led to, to Baymon, its different forms, which became a podcast now. So, yeah. It's a, it's, I, I love, um, yeah, it's amazing because I haven't been to Israel yet. Um, it's been on the top of my list. Um, actually not for very long. And I, I say that sadly, cause I'm like, man, but I think it's only been in the last probably four or five years that I'm like, no, I think it would literally transform me, uh, in some component to, to be there, see it. And it's that drawing that it like, it kind of like draws you away to be like, I really need to know what this is. Um, cause I mean, part of my story is I grew up in church. I was a little kid under the pew. And so it was just this, this is what it is. This is what it is. And what I find with Bama podcast and just the way that it's presented just as the text, like, it's not like, Hey, this is what we think this is just solely. This is what the text says. And it's inviting me back. And it's like rewiring all of these things where I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, it's, 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 un, um, yeah, it's unraveling what I thought, like, oh, this is what I've made it. This is how I've made it applicable in my life. And it's really challenged me. Um, and honestly, I think I've had this saying for like the last year and a half since I stumbled upon Bama podcast was, you know, like, we love the comfort side of Jesus. And we see that that is real, like he is the comforter. Um, but I think I had come to a place in my own journey, where it was like, wait, he's also the confronter. Like he's not scared to disrupt what's going on for the sake of a heart. Like he's not scared to come as lion and lamb. Um, and I think sometimes, especially, you know, culturally, especially I think for my own life, it's surrounded by um, comfort and it, not that he's not a comforter because he is, he mends the brokenhearted. So he knew it was all going to be a, a piece of the pie. Um, but even in my own walk, I see that just the text alone, outside of experiential, it is literally rewiring me. 
did you feel like as soon as you started kind of digging in, you're like, wait a minute, like I, I, it's kind of opening up a whole new world again. Yeah, for sure. I, everything that people describe, I love that, you know, I've been doing this now for 12 years, 10 years since I kind of started teaching it more formally and people always talk about their experience and I can remember that. I mean, I went through the same, I mean, it was, it was unique to me and it's every person's experience is unique to them, but it in very large part. I, I can remember all those. I can remember the emotions of being frustrated and angry and hopeless that I would ever figure it out. And I mean, the things that people describe, I, I, yeah, I went through all that and, and I still go through all those things and the journey I've been on for the last 12 years, cause it's only been 12 years is a journey that anybody could go on. It's involved no formal education, although I study all the people that got their formal education, so we bless God for that. But I, I haven't done anything that people with a, an internet connection could not do completely, totally on their own. And I've had a lot of things working for me, um, having a ministry and you know, a vocational ministry job. There's a lot of things that, that enable me to do a lot in that regard. But it's it's completely accessible in this wonderful world that we we live yeah. in, which is kind of where that podcast will go and, and land towards the end of our time together. Uh, and all the studies we'll do, we'll, we'll kind of end with, where has God placed us now? And God's put us in a pretty unique place right now. And, and it's pretty cool, cool time to be alive, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, for a long time, I thought, man, this has got to be the hardest time to be alive. And then I think the more I get unraveled, I'm like, this is the best time to be alive. Like, like this is probably, yeah, it is the best time to be alive. It's the best time to have a, a concreted faith and be like, man, like it's really allowing, um, the, you know, light to, to shine in the dark. Um, I would love to just whatever your thoughts are, wherever you kind of want to flow with this. But so like, I would, I think just because of the theme of the podcast, I would love for you to just share, um, whatever you could or would about. I don't think we really understand that, that Jesus calling himself a rabbi is like a really big deal. Um, and like the process of what it became, like what it took to be a rabbi and the fact that he called fishermen and these people that were not quote unquote, didn't make it through the long haul of, of training. If you would say, I, I'm probably messing all of that up, but if you wouldn't mind, just, I would love for people to kind of have a context of that part. If you don't mind sharing a little bit. Yeah, sure. And it's it's really tricky because there's so much we know and we don't know. Maybe a lot, whole lot more we don't know than we do know about history. And, and even the context of Jesus himself, we only have these bits and pieces. So we do our best to piece them together. But like formal rabbis didn't exist until 70 AD after the destruction of the temple. When the temple was being destroyed, Jews were fleeing because um, of the destruction from Rome. Uh, uh, according to the legend, the tale, the, the record, Rabbi Akiva stood on a mountain pass as all the teachers uh, and, and elders of Israel were fleeing, and he realized, if, I don't do, if we don't do something, the temple's now destroyed, we are gonna run all over the earth and, and Judaism will be lost. And so because of, in the lack of a temple, he ordained 70 rabbis as they crossed over the top of this mountain. And from there, rabbinic Judaism formally sprung forth. Now before that, they had rabbis, they were just kind of what I would call little r. Judaism calls them sages. Anything prior to AD 70, they call sages. And so they are rabbis, rabbi just means teacher. And so you had these, they, there was this cultural formality to them, but an, an, as far as office and hierarchy and religious structure, informal. 
but they had this Jewish schooling system that they had come back from Babylon with. When they were in Babylon, they had determined to never come back to captivity again. They did not want to make those same mistakes. And obviously they had been sent to captivity because they were disobedient. They knew that. In their mind, they were disobedient because they didn't know what the, they didn't follow the rules because they didn't know the rules. They had not put God's word in their heart. They were not people of the text. And so they determined to become people of the text. And so while they're in Babylon, they created synagogue. Synagogue came with a education system where they started at five years old, putting the text inside their children, having them memorize the Bible. And so from five to 10 years old, these students memorized the books of Moses. If you know them well enough and you had to know them really well, uh, you got to move on to uh, that, that first stage was called Beit Sefer. From Beit Sefer, you would go to uh, Beit Midrash or Beit Talmud. History can't really decide which one it was. And, uh, and then from 10 to 13, you memorize the entire rest of Tanakh, which is the Hebrew scripture. So if you imagine your Old Testament. So, so at this point, you have less than 10% of your students, maybe less than 1% uh, scholars really don't know. Um, but you have a very small fraction. The best of the best, the valedictorians are moving on. They're memorizing the rest of, your bi- uh, the rest of their Bible. And then from there, at, at, at age 13, when you are bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, in this case, mostly Jesus is pretty rare because he has women disciples, but in their world, typically male disciples were the only ones that moved on, and you would apply to follow a rabbi. And these rabbis were these informal teachers that had spent their whole life, 30 years at this point, studying the text, developing their body of work, figuring out, um, learning from their own teachers and rabbis. This was passed on from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. So these were incredibly respected people. There wasn't a hundred of them. Like as far as the rabbis we know about, we know of like five in the first century. We don't know, maybe there's more, like 12, 20. There's not a hundred. So these are very, this is a small group of, of the um, studied elite. Like this is the LeBron James. In fact, I, I chuckle at that because I went to Jerusalem a few years ago. I was buying ice cream. I was on a scouting trip. Bought some ice cream at a store at a, at a little, it wasn't really a gas station convenience store there. I was at the counter. I looked to my left and there was a little rack of rabbi trading cards. Like they treat the rabbis with the same kind of whatever you want to call that. Just awe, reverence, whatever that thing is, celebrity that we treat, you know, athletes and those kind of things. That's still true of Judaism. It was true back then. So when a rabbi would come into town, you read about thousands of people gathering to listen to Jesus. That was what you did. You have a rabbi in town, like you take the day off from work. Everybody goes out to listen to this guy because what an opportunity to have somebody so trained in the text. Now, Jesus seems to be somewhat rogue, which we would kind of expect um, because of his birth story. Like central to Judaism is lineage and genealogy. Nobody is going to believe, like maybe some radical fanatics, nobody's going to believe the virgin birth story. Like I don't even know if your family even believes that. Like Mary and Joseph, obviously, but outside of that, I don't even know if your own family believe in this virgin birth narrative. And so they're going to see that and go like, well, you can tell whatever your story you want to be, but your birth must have been illegitimate or you wouldn't be telling the story. So there's a scholar out there by the name of, of Chilton, Bruce Chilton, that talks about Jesus was probably in their culture a mamzer or mumzer. He was an outsider. He was a bastard child. He was somebody who um, wasn't legitimate. And so he, I, I believe, um, uh, I believe that 
John the Baptist was his teacher, kind of this cousin. People are like, how could that be? He's only six months older. Because Jesus wasn't fitting into the norm. He wasn't fitting into the standard, um, this is how things work kind of definition of how things operate as a student and as a teacher. And so I think his family takes him under his wing. I think his disciples are largely family. I think five of them at least are his cousins. So I think he's running kind of this rogue um, kind of ragamuffin group of like outcast disciples and he's an outcast rabbi and everybody's amazed because he's so brilliant and his teaching is so authoritative and thunderous. And yet they're like, but who are you trained under? Like they know he didn't go to school. They know he didn't, he, he wasn't in the typical channels. So Jesus is just this fascinating kind of historical enigma outside of just who he is as Christ. He is historically as a rabbi, just really outside the norm and, and upsetting the status quo and the way he does things. Pretty beautiful. I think it's so like, cause I mean, obviously we can look at, we can read about Jesus and see all these miracles and all these kind of like, like he wasn't necessarily doing things the way that other people were, but his whole life literally was like, I like the way that you used ragamuffin. It was kind of just rogue and like, this makes no sense. Like, and I was thinking, I actually interviewed somebody yesterday. We were talking about how, how like even in his own time, Jesus, like that was a hard pill to swallow. Like we think, oh man, now it's a hard, it's hard to live out this faith, you know, t testing it and all this stuff. But it's like, truthfully, like when Jesus came, like nobody probably believed him at all. It's not right. like they could go on YouTube or the internet and be like, okay, who's this weird Jesus person? Right. Yeah, I'm actually reading a book right now by Jacob Neusner, and it's called uh, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus. And um, uh, Jacob Neusner is kind of responsible for us being able to have, even have this conversation back in the 70s. He brought Jewish and Christian uh, scholarship together, and we've really never worked apart. We weren't working together for 1,800 years, which sounds ridiculous, and we just weren't. We weren't talking together. Neusner kind of brought that conversation together, and now Jewish and Christian scholarship is kind of always kind of bound at the hip in the way that they study archaeology and the world of the Bible. And so he, he wrote this book, which we found out just the other day, Brent and I were looking at this, and he wrote like 950 books by the time he died, died in 2016. Um, hard to fathom how he pulled that off. But um, just uh, he, one of the books he wrote was this conversation where he essentially says, I'm going to, I'm a, I, I have this deep respect and love for Jesus, but Christians just love to hail him as Lord, and Jews just love to say he's only a rabbi. But you really can't do that, and I want to show you why. And so I want to talk with Jesus, and I want to show you why I wouldn't follow him, which I was like, oh, no, I don't want, I'm not going to like this book. But it's really actually super good. I'm not done yet, but the theme throughout this book so far has been what Jesus is doing is so brilliant. He's acknowledging the status quo. His teaching fits, and every trained Jew would have listened to it and went, oh, wow, I want to hear more. And yet what he was ultimately claiming is so beyond what they could have been comfortable with because he's really making, he's really asserting himself, the person of this Christ figure, over and against Torah, against Moses, against things that, so he's being very much a rabbi, but he's also being unlike any rabbi and totally uncomfortable for his audience. So it is, it would have been a crazy conversation to totally, and then you have the miracles, which isn't totally unique. Like you have miracles all throughout the Bible, 
like Elijah's doing it. Like they're not shocked by miracles. Christians don't make a big deal about that. But you would have had those miracles as well, and you would have been like, well, wait a minute. It like it would have been it would have been something. It uh, it's hard to imagine how it would have been like to walk uh, yeah, those it, dirt roads and be there. Oh man, I can't even fathom it. Like part of me is like, I want to attempt to it, like put my mind around it, but there's just no there's no way that that's ever going to fully happen. Um, I I want to bring it like. I guess I'm trying to think of how to even truly bring it up, but I guess in context of what you know with the text and the the studying and going in comparison to what we in modern day, I guess it would be the right word, the word discipleship, because I think, you know, we've formulated it to what, you know, our culture of sorts. And I would love for you to just speak into that. Um, in any way you feel led. I know there's lots of people that, you know, we, we have mentors, we have all these lingo, these key words for spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, you know. Um, but truly, if we're just trying to be disciples of Christ and look at the text and say, okay, he's perfect theology. He's, he's you know, we love Paul. Paul's amazing. I love le- re- learning about Paul. Um, but even higher than that is Jesus. And then how do we go from becoming where we are in a culture of Christianity and going, say, okay, I want to go back to the ancient paths. I want to go, okay, I want to learn what that would look like and pull it into modern day. That is probably a really long question with lots of run on sentences for my grammar people. (laughs) No, it's good. And it's one of my passions I have over the years as I've grown and matured and gotten a little bit older, I've softened the edges of my convictions a little bit. I still hold them, but I try to hold them maybe a little bit softer than I used to. But yeah, I mean, we have in the evangelical world, we use the word discipleship to talk about um, a lot of good things, none of which need to go away, by the way. But we use discipleship to talk about Thursday morning at 7 a.m. at Starbucks, like we're doing discipleship. That's great. I do a lot of 7 a.m.s at Starbucks. We need to do those. Uh, don't, don't stop doing those. And if we want to call them discipleship, like it's not a big deal. I'm not on some massive, you know mission to change the way we use language in the in the in the church in the 21st century but just if we're gonna if we're gonna think historically that's not what discipleship was jesus wasn't meeting at 7 a.m with his discipleship with his disciples at starbucks we talk about discipleship as like church assimilation a lot of mega churches will use discipleship to talk about like well well we're gonna do ministry like jesus did ministry and conveniently they fit into all of our programming objectives and that's great too. Like we should, we should work hard to get people connected to our churches and give people a place of belonging and, and, and home. We need to not stop doing all those things, but that's not discipleship either. Like Jesus wasn't running small groups. That's not what he was doing. It, it kind of fits like, well, no, it was like 12 guys. Well, you know, that's not the same thing. You know, your small group goes home at the end of small group um, and they show up with their casserole. Like that's different than what the disciples were doing. And so, it, and it's complicated by our New Testament in the Greek. We have one word for it in the Greek. It's mathetes. The problem with mathetes is it can mean student. It can mean disciple. So anybody that's just listening to a teacher as a mathetes. And somebody who's given their whole life to follow. a In the Hebrew, you don't have that same uh, problem. You have limudim, which are students, and you have talmudim, which are disciples, and so you can distinguish them. So we don't always know what our New Testament is talking about, like the Great Commission. Uh, there might be some hints in there. We don't know exactly which one Jesus was, and I wish we had 
Matthew's copy in the Hebrew, because that would have answered the question for us. And I do believe that's where it was written originally. But nevertheless, I digress. So yeah, the discipleship for me, um, in its rabbinic sense, and, and we don't live in the first century. We don't, we don't live in, in the region of Palestine in the first century. We're different. We live in America or wherever it is that we're listening to this in the 21st century, and things are not the same and things are different. However, what Jesus was doing was Jesus was calling a bunch of guys to leave home. They didn't go home and sleep at night. They followed their rabbi 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for three years. They lived, walked, moved, traveled, ate. They did every, they got no vacations, but this was a complete, absolute, total following of a rabbi. And so that we don't have anything like that. And nor do I necessarily think that's the objective or that's the goal. But one of the reasons I got into campus ministry was to, to, to do something closer to that. I needed people that were old enough to make their own decisions and yet didn't have mortgages and marriages and children and careers yet. And so you had this group, this demographic in our culture that had a little bit of freedom to do something unique that life typically won't allow a typical person to do. Um, because discipleship wasn't typical in Jesus's world. Like we said, less than 1%, far less than 1% are actually becoming Talmudim disciples. Lots of people are Mathetes, Limudim students, but very few people. And it's not the goal of spirituality to become that kind of rabbinic disciple. That's a, something that God called a very small group of people too. Again, none of these things necessarily have to be what God's calling us to do in the church today. But when I came back from Israel, I was like, that would work. Like, of course it worked. Jesus worked with 11 guys. Um, 12, one of them didn't make it, but that's a small group of guys he worked with changed the course of human history. And he preached to thousands, like he preached the mega church sermon every now and then but he worked with 12 guys and, uh, and some ladies and, um, and, and changed the course of human history. And we don't have a place for that in our church world. We, we, we don't budget for it because what a waste of resources. You, you want to spend all of your time with 12 people? Like what a silly waste of resources. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did and it worked so well. So there's something, there's something in that that I want to wrestle with. I don't want to copy necessarily detail for detail. I don't necessarily want to recreate it, but there's something about that that I want to experiment with, that I, I, I want the church, I, I hope the church learns to experiment with and find ways to trade up, train up a new kind of leader that doesn't put us $60,000 in school debt and doesn't, you know, wreck us and... Anyway, so those are just some thoughts. I am still uh, a decade later just experimenting, toying with ideas, uh, and I got a lot of life ahead of me if God so wills it. So, you know, I don't have a lot of answers. I just have some convictions and some ideas and, and things that I'd love to pursue. Now, I, I love it because I think it offers, I mean, I think because like you said, it's not that anything, not any way that we're doing it right now is wrong or evil or completely against, you know, scripture but it's more so like there's this deeper this deeper understanding of like how he did it and you're like yeah it just it's somewhat mind-boggling um the fact that you know like jesus did lifestyle with 12 guys 
and and even some women i'm sure like obviously we know some women as well and and he didn't say okay now you get to go home to your house uh you get to go um you know he didn't i don't know they did like life on life like they ate together they laughed together they you know hung out with sinners together um and they did that and so there's this deeper invitation of okay so how do we and I say we, I say that lightly. How does Shay, <laughs> how does Shay look at that and say, okay, what could that look like in my own life? And I think it's this deep invitation um, for, um, yeah, just this deeper understanding of the text, this deeper understanding of, man, like he's probably called, like I can't fathom what he's called me to really walk if I'm not digging in. And what I love about what you're you're sharing about is this invitation to like dig in and to say, well, what does that mean? Where, where, you know, what do we do with that culturally? Um, and, and how do we let that kind of ignite this sense in our own spirit, man, in, in our own heart that says, man, I really want to, to dive deeper into the text. Yeah. I remember Ray and uh, Israel, teaching about this and he pointed out the Arabic for, so the, the Hebrew is Talmud and then Talmudim for plural. Talmud is disciple, Talmudim disciples. In the Arabic, the word is Talib and the plural ends up being Taliban. And so the idea of that word Taliban, that, that, that's the kind of commitment and that's not a derogative statement at all against Islam or any of that. But the reason for bringing that up is that's a kind of commitment. That's a level of commitment that a Talib or a Talmud has. And so Ray challenged us. He said, what level of commitment do you have? Like, do you get up every morning with a fire in your belly to want to be just like Jesus? Like as John says in First John, whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. Is that true of our faith walk? So yeah, I find that a very challenging thought myself. It, it, yeah, it is that. It, I love the way that you said that because it is, it is how much are you, it's that devotion, right? It's beyond just that first moment of salvation. It's that, what are you wake? Are you waking up literally going, man, like he really gave me the breath in my lungs. Like this awareness of like, my life's not my own. Or is it, or so in any place of our walk with him, it's this invitation to go deeper and go, okay, not only do I need to seek comfort from him, but I also need to say, God, confront those places that have become hard, hard hearted or complacent even and, and put me back in, put me back in the game. <laughs> and, I, and I love the way that you guys at Bayman Podcast are, are, are like, and I love it because you're simply just presenting it, but it's sitting here, it's slapping me in my face and I'm like, oh, yes, this is so good. Yeah. Well, we've, we've had our own journeys that got us to this spot. So we're just kind of sharing. We're just a few steps ahead, maybe in some ways, not always, but just in some ways and sharing those little areas where we, we maybe are, um, I don't, I even hate that phrase, a step ahead, who knows, but we we have our little piece of our journey that we're sharing. We're just, and we're just doing our part to try to be, to steward that. And that's one of the things I hear you talking about is stewardship. We're trying to steward the mystery. We're trying to steward the gift that we have each and every day steward that well. And uh, so hopefully we're doing that. I love that we get to do it. We, we love to do this stuff, the Bayma stuff. It's great. Uh, it's not actually my full-time job, but it's a part of it and it's great and we love it. And we love that we get to do what we love and other people say, thank you. That is a pretty sweet gig. So we are blessed. Yeah. And uh, 
that's a great place to find yourself. It's definitely been awesome for me in my own personal journey and walk. And I've sent it to so many people. I'm like, it's, it's made the word come alive again in a whole different component. Um, you know, and there are seasons where it's just like, okay, this seems like just words that I'm reading. But even in like the most hungry season for the word, I'm like, man, this is stirring you up to go, okay, there's so much more to culturally to things that he was talking about that I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? So I, I would love um, for you just to pray um, over our listeners in whatever way you feel led to. Um, like, yeah, I would love that if you'd be willing to do that. And then I'm going to ask you a funny question that I ask everybody that comes on. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's pray. God, we, uh, blessed are you for bringing us to this place at this time, uh, whatever ways that our journeys intersect in this world of technology that has brought, um, just all kinds of new wrinkles that have unfolded in the ways that our faith walks can interact with others, the way our perspectives can be broadened and our, our horizons widened. And God, we're just we're thankful for the thing that, that you're doing. Um, God, we're thankful for the, uh, I, I'm just always, imp- the thing that hangs with me, God, as we have these conversations and like this is just your, how, how deep and how wide your, your patience and your faithfulness, um, how, how finite my understanding, how, how limited my perspective, um, and yet how, how infinite yours, and yet you just, you just love us, and you just invite us along for the journey, you invite us along for the ride, and uh, we, are, we are blessed by that. We're blessed by your love for us, and we uh, listen to the words of our rabbi Jesus, longing to bless you back, and to hear your words, and to obey them, uh, knowing that if we love you, uh, we'll walk in, in faithfulness, we'll walk in obedience, so God, help us to do that more and more every day. Help us to keep our eyes open, our hands open, uh, our souls and our spirits open to the things that you're doing around us that maybe otherwise we would not have seen or recognized. So God, thanks for the mystery. Thanks for the love. And that's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, I kept thinking while you're praying, I was like, kept thinking of the episode, the first episode where you talk about or maybe it's the second, first and second. I listened to it so many times. But it was talking about just trust, trust, trust the story. Trust the story. And it's just, I literally will tell myself on my hardest day, I'm like, trust the story. Trust yep. the story, you know. But anyways, I say that to say, to tell the listeners to go listen. Uh, but I do want to ask you this funny question. And I don't even, it doesn't even necessarily have to be funny, I guess. I say it's funny. I think it's just fun to know what people's answer would be. Um, but if in this season, Marty, of your life, if you could have three people and saying Jesus, Holy Spirit, and God are obviously there because they're everywhere, um, who would you have at a table and why? And they can be somebody, they can be a mixture of alive and passed away, can be one or the other, whatever you would choose. Sure. So I think I would go past first. Uh, I think I would, I think I would, I, I thought, yeah. I think I'd do Moses. I think that's what I'd do. I think I would, as such, uh, outside of Jesus, probably, I mean, the next best thing, the guy who's, who, who spoke to God face-to-face, apparently on a regular basis. Um, I mean, that epitaph at the end of Deuteronomy, to just be able to, uh, that, that'd be a big one. I don't even know what I would ask him, but that'd be cool to have him at a table. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, and, and I, 
I, I, I'm going to throw, throw you for a loop. I'm going to go future. And I'm going to say, I would want to sit down with my grandkids, uh, assuming I have them. And I would want to hear from them how the decisions I'm making today are impacting who they have become. Maybe my great grandkids, two or three generations away, and maybe get their insight, both positive and negative on things that could impact what I'm doing today. And then I just had to go present and, and it's not present, present, but more present modern day. I think it would have to be a, somebody like Martin Luther King, somebody that has seen our world or at least the more of the day that we're living in today and bringing their wisdom, especially if Moses was at the table and my future great grandkids like that'd be a great conversation. Cause they could be like, no, that didn't work. We tried that didn't work um, or whatever. But so it'd be, I think I'd want past, present and future. That's what I, I would do. That's amazing. That I love, I've never even thought about future, but I was sitting here like that. It would be amazing to be like, what, what was, what, man, that just baffled me to sit here and think about that. That, that was amazing. I'm like, you did yeah. one up me and I'm cool with that. <laughs> but like well, thank you so much, Marty, for coming on and taking the time to just chat and uh, definitely appreciate it. And it's been such an honor to get to talk with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and, and invite me to be on the, on the show. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. So everybody, thank you for listening. And thank you for um, tuning in, whether you're listening at work, um, secretly in a cubicle, or whether you're driving or just chilling out at a coffee shop. I pray that these words would awaken you in a deeper measure to the text in a deeper love for the word of God. Um, and the way, same way that you know, it has for me, in the last few years, I pray that it would just, yeah, draw you away with him in spirit and in truth and in the word. And so um, thank you for listening. Have a great day. And you, I'm going to link uh, Bama podcast underneath under the notes and all of that good stuff. And I would highly, 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 highly recommend that you go and you check it out because it is literally um, turning the tables of my own heart in the best way possible. So have a great day.